Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, trees and non-binaries, and welcome to the first episode of Fantastic Plays. Well, the first episode of 2023, anyway. For those of you familiar with the Fantastic Universes podcast, you might remember the Hostile Takeover, the irregular show where I, Adam Ray, the Izzard Tinker, and a very special guest talked to all kinds of things across board games, PC, console, and all things in between. But uh, this spe- specific and special gaming podcast is... Uh, had a bit of a facelift as going into 2023. We want to rebrand, reinvigorate ourselves, and stick to all things fantastic. For those of you listening to us through our Patreon support, I want to give you a big, big shout out and thank you. Everyone who subscribes to our Patreon gets advanced access to all of our written content and extended and uninterrupted episodes of every single one of our podcasts. But as we jaunt and venture through into 2023, we have many things to look forward to, and me and my very regular guest here, Connor McKinderwa, aka Karyu, we talk card games and the many, many flavours of it, and there's a lot of things to look out for in 2023, so before we get to the good stuff, Connor, my good pal, how are you? I am very well, Alan. It's good to be back and creating content again. We have both decided, coming into this new year, that we wanted to truly reinvigorate ourselves in this content creation sphere and put forward our best foot leading into the new year so i am excited to start trying to do more stuff within my own content creation as well as to really put the pedal to the metal with our podcast here at fantastic plays and i believe we're going to be trying to be a bit more consistent and a bit more frequent for our dear viewers yes so that is the hope at least we need to keep on ourselves as creators and get ourselves into a funk actually making more content on the regular and thank you for bearing with us dear listeners and we do sincerely apologize but yes new year new facelift same uh, expertise and opinions but we're going to make the effort to actually put forward the content that you deserve and that you want to hear so Let's get right to it. 2023, brand new year. Many things to consider, look out, and talk about, wouldn't you say, my friend, in the world of card gaming? 2022 was quite interesting card game in the set in TCG gaming sphere as it brought some new faces to the forefront. Uh, Flesh and Blood had a massive explosion as disgruntled Magic players decided to try out other waters and found a new love. The One Piece card game came out and took the world by storm with its competitive gaming as well as great uh, mechanics. So in the likes of 2023, we actually have a massive year coming in, in my opinion, a resurgence of TCGs as of late. It's looking like we've got across the board new and old TCGs getting new sets new ideas, brand new mechanics, brand new characters, and it's just a brilliant time to be a TCG player. I would say so. A lot. I can definitely attest to 2022's uh, need for an exodus and a shake-up. Uh, for myself, who plays a lot competitively on the digital scene, there was a big migration from games like Legends of Terror into Marvel Snap, and that game has continued to dominate the first couple of weeks of 2023 with some amazing dominance, but uh, I'm looking at some of the talking points that we have here, and there are some titles here that I recognise, but some that are wildly new to me. They're going to get their UK and or English releases, as well as uh, big updates to some of our personal favourites. There's a lot 
a lot to be excited about coming up in this big old year for us card gamers. Oh, truly, it is a magical time to be alive. Speaking of which, I believe there's a magical card game coming along soon by a, a dear old friend creating magical moments in cinematography history. Adam, I believe we've got a new card game on the horizon. We can look no further than our own childhood to look towards Disney. Yes, the giant mouse corporation himself, Disney's Lorcana, is set to be coming out sometime summer 2023. We know precious little, but we have much to be excited about in terms of the early designs and some of the early collector value on some of these cards. It's going to be a game that, it, when it gets released, I feel it's going to be clamoring with both enfranchised TCG players like ourselves as well as the younger audience, something that hasn't really been targeted by the TCG market in quite a long time outside of Pokemon, as Yu-Gi-Oh! and other card games have kind of shifted to its more teenage and adult audiences. And I feel like it could really grasp onto the young audience with its magical nature. Yeah, most definitely. These are uh, IPs and characters and story beats that appeal to all age ranges. They are light-hearted, fun, and just brightly coloured that'll appeal to all kinds of stuff. And like you said, Pokemon has a very big little kid's uh, collector's standpoint. So I think that, to, to quote the professor of Telerian Community College fame, he rightly identified that uh, the big player base might be more collector-driven, the people that want the their favourite characters and the favourite versions of certain Disney characters on their cards is might might be what appeals to Lorcana players and Lorcana fan base, but uh, Disney's card game is certainly one that they're going to have to pay a lot of attention to, especially because a lot of the early marketing for it has put it to at least attempt to be a large franchise that wants to compete in the same arenas as Magic and Pokemon, the industry greats. Even just stating we are here to stand in the ring with Magic and Pokemon. Yu-Gi-Oh! and other card games that have managed to stand the test of time is a bit big ask. However, with the pockets that Disney has, as well as already looking like it's got a similar formula to Magic the Gathering, well, all I can say is that I really hope that it can try and invigorate the TCG scene with more interesting plays, interesting mechanics, while also enabling an entire new audience to come into the fold. That is the hope, and that's the hope for any card game. Honestly, we've got we've seen the success of, of My Hero Academia and One Piece, as you've said, come through because they're familiar IPs put into the fun card game style of play. So there's definitely a balance there, and if they can meet it this time in the summer, we may be sleeving up so yet another thing. To play but you know what i i've said it before and i'll say it again i will try my hand at anything that involves rectangular cards slinging them down so yeah best of luck to you disney uh i know that you have access to deep pockets and any eager game designers so i'm sure that they can put together something of note i cannot wait to sleeve up the cards and try and give it a go what is i'm trying to think of which disney character i wish to build a deck around do you well, have any that comes instantly to mind? Well, to, to circle back on what I said earlier about the collector's value, I know that at Disney's convention when they announced the game, there are certain versions of Mickey Mouse that are already uh, worth uh, well over $1,000 on the collector's market. But I'm also thinking I'm thinking bigger, right? Because if it's is it just Disney 
like the fairy tales and the movies and stuff, or is it Disney's IP? Because they could very easily have Star Wars and Marvel and other IPs be their own expansion as well. Because, like I've said, I've been able to sling up uh, characters like Iron Man and Captain America and Marvel Snap, but getting those characters in another good TCG, because Marvel tried that back in the early 2000s, that did not go well. But getting those characters like revisioned on a card game done properly could be a lot of fun as well. But if it's for me, they can get Pixar in there. I'd love to see like superhero-themed deck with the Incredibles or maybe some fun mechanic with the Toy Story guys where on your opponent's turn, they're not creatures so they can't be targeted the same way. Something like that. <laughs> that would be very interesting design element that they would have to implement. Personally, for me, I would probably have to say either the cast of Monsters, Inc. or Lilo and Stitch. That'd be nice. Because those are two uh, show movies that I just grew up with and I absolutely adored. And if they can get a reference to Mike's car, I would absolutely adore it. <laughs> That'd be good. It's like we've unleashed a panther. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's interesting that they've decided to retry now. Because as I alluded to earlier, I truly believe we are going for a re renaissance of card games. Where a lot of card games are trying again with their IPs. Where card game design has come a long way since the early 2000s where the market became so oversaturated with the promise of the successes that Magic, Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon had had. And unfortunately, so many flopped, even with good and interesting uh, card game design. They all flopped because they just all clamored too quickly and they all just copied each other. Whereas now, card games are trying new and interesting ways of playing. Some that I never considered, like for example, when we played uh, My Hero Academia recently, to me personally, it just feels like I'm playing a fighting game, and that is such a cool feeling to emulate within a card game. Yeah, I came from a place where I was handling a lot of card product, and I was looking at some of the My Hero Academia cards and how they functioned, and in my head, some of the mechanics to it made zero sense just looking at the character cards blind. Looking at the cards in-game, you're right, it does have that feel of like Tekken or Street Fighter where it's like high, middle, and low attacks and blocking them based on their speed to see how much damage they could do. So it's a game that requires a lot of very fiddly knowledge, but once you get the game going, it's a lot of fun. So hopefully I can find my way to play some more My Hero somewhere, but in any case, it's a very interesting and unique way to play a card game. Especially with the resources of just flipping cards to see if the costs match up. There's more of a roulette and high risk, high reward sort of way of play, which makes it a lot of fun as well. Yeah, fully agree. It, and also the complete deck variety. But we're not here to talk about a card game that we both went into with some trepidation, as we could be here the entire episode talking about that. <laughs> Very true. There's a. Uh... There's a few uh, new things on the horizon. I, well, new for me because I'm looking at these titles and I'm like, ah, okay, what? So there are many new possible titles coming to us. Uh, one should uh, explain us a little further about some of these that you're very excited about already. Yeah, so I do actually keep track a lot of the 
some call it OCG, meaning original card game, but typically it just means card games that originated within Japan and has its own Japanese uh, card uh, sphere. And unfortunately, at least in my opinion, unfortunately, there's a lot of card games that just get not translated, do not get ported over here to the West for either they've tried in the past and it's failed. As I said, we've had moments where in the history of TCGs where it's just become, the market's just become oversaturated and even truly great card games have just faltered and don't get picked up because of the likes of Magic, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, etc. But there is several card games I have truly loved keeping track of over the years and years of playing card games. And I am super, super excited to say that in the spring of this year, we are getting again, because at one point it did get a release, an English release, but only for one or two sets. Battle Spirit Saga is coming to the UK in an English release. And I am so excited to have Battle Spirits get imported over to the to the English formats. So what can you tell us about this uh, exciting new translation of a of an OCG classic? Well, it's interesting because they seem to have started off with a different naming. So typically it's just called Battle Spirits, set names, etc, etc, and that's it. This time they've gone with Battle Spirits Saga, and I think what they're going to be trying to do with it is instead of what they did last time, which was they've done a English version of one of their sets, and then try to just keep going like slight delay with compared to their sets, like they do with like Yu-Gi-Oh, um, Vanguard, uh, most Bushu Road product, where they would have a Japanese format that's several months ahead of the English format. Instead, what it looks like they're doing is they're curating an English format from their card game, either with older cards or with newer newer cards being released into the into the game. So these are the cards that are English like sorry to catch you off, buddy. That was that's so uh, those are gonna be English specific cards that may not necessarily be available in Japan or in another translation. Very much so, which I'm I need to do some more research on it because I saw it on uh shout out to Living Realms up in uh in Castleford. Uh, which has to be one of the few, if only, uh, web stores and shops in the UK that have already put up pre-orders for the starter decks and product. And I saw it and I was so excited because it had such interesting and unique gameplay mechanics of your life eventually becomes resources that you use to play and power up your units. Each of the different colors has different play styles. Uh, they've done Digimon crossovers in the past. Ooh. Yes, if if you look up on uh, eBay or on the interwebs, there have been several uh, crossovers with Digimon for Battle Spirits, as well as uh, Kamen Rider and several other IPs. But and then it itself has a several shows that have been released. So it is a large IP. It's just that it's never really come here to the UK, to America, to Europe, because of one point, it just didn't seem like it was going to do well. 
but the fact that they're trying again, perhaps because of the success of uh, Y-Cross or uh, other Japanese-ported um, TCGs, I am truly hyped, and I can't wait to get all the decks and sit you down and play the decks with you to teach you how to play. Because I remember being 12 years ago, trying out the game for the first time with a friend. That's a uh, time-honored tradition with us, dear listeners. He, uh, Connor, does very much like to sit me down with a bunch of decks for a card game I've never heard of and make me play and hope for the best. And it's been always some of the most fun the two of us can ever really have. So, yeah. I digress. So, Battle Spirits coming out in the spring. It's already been confirmed. You can get the pre-orders online, wherever you may find them. It is truly a game that if you are going, hmm, this sounds interesting, where they use cores to power up the units in both a similar fashion to level up as well as powering them as if they were a mech. <laughs> then I would recommend looking into either the older game, the, well, the game that's currently being released in Japan and its series, or just taking a look into the uh, release as it comes out and any potential pre-release events that are coming nearby. As, as you can tell, dear listeners, we are truly lovers of the card game universe. And there's so many that we can just... Talking about one always leads to another. It's true. I don't know anyone else quite like the two of us. We've dabbled with practically everything. And we have our interests and our feelers set out to find many other things. But um, we can hope that... Uh, yeah, we can certainly hope that uh, somewhere out there the releases of Battle Spirits when it comes to the UK will have a good and successful release. But uh, you touched on a game just now on our little preamble because we wambled through some stuff. You, With the games that come through from Japan, they have certain IPs and they have certain things that are relevant to the open, the original card games and hopefully some of the other things that make them new and invigorated and interesting. And one thing that got you excited, which I smiled and nodded along about was this new and exciting expansion to Vice Schwartz coming up. Oh yes. I am so happy. Vice Schwartz is a game that is created from the IPs of anime and cartoons. The it ha and games, because it has the Persona series, a dear game series to my heart. It has a uh, killer kill. It has um is it wrong to pick up girls in a dungeon? Seven Deadly Sins. Uh, if you can name quite any popular anime, it probably is in there. As well as basically every Love Live, uh, Hollow Live, etc. Uh, show as part of the card game. And But being released later this year, uh, for the booster pack at least, I believe the uh, trial deck is coming out in either... February or in April, we are getting Avatar The Last Airbender coming to Weishwartz. And I am so excited to try. I'm so glad I chose now to try getting back into the game with the new, uh, with one of the Ruby structure deck. And I'm going to have a blast playing the, the, the Avatar decks. It's going to be so much fun. Meanwhile, I will smile and nod along because I am one of the 12 people on Earth that has never seen Avatar The Last Airbender. But I, I love your, your enthusiasm and I love your interest. I might try to look into something in an IP that I love because I'm 
fairly sure that like Demon Slayer had some Japan boosters, but maybe not some English boosters of uh, in Vice Schwartz. But uh, at the very least, like Attack on Titan or Tokyo Avengers or Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid. Hello, uh, I might be able to find some stuff for Vice Schwartz. Yes, it's a it's also a great game for in terms of learning how to play. It's not too difficult. It's got quite an easy learning curve, and its power level, especially amongst trial decks. Like just trial deck versus trial deck is very balanced. Like I was looking, I was playing the Ruby structure deck versus uh, several of the newer ones, as well as a couple of the older trial decks, and it still held up, and it felt fair and balanced against each other. But yes, I'm excited to have Avatar Last Airbender come to the game. It's gonna be quite funny considering there's four colors within the game, and they all match up with the elements. Uh. I look forward to seeing the artwork from Avatar being shown on the cards as I play and getting completely destroyed by Momo every game. Honestly, that sounds great. Because uh, honestly, when you said about the uh, power levels of the structure decks and the pre-built decks, I can always count on Bushiro to do a good job with those because the Vanguard decks, as you say, are usually very well balanced. Yep, and they also do the similar thing of Vanguard. I didn't realize it at first because I had there's two in the Ruby deck there's two cards with different artwork, but you get four of every card other than the backup card which you only get two of, which I'm fine with. I'm, I was like whatever, but you get like four of the main cards of the deck, one in foil and an alternate art, and then three more in just like regular, like common, uh, like non-foil. and then you get another playset of the other most important card in your set, and then you get playsets of everything. That's, and I was pleasantly surprised by that. That's a really good premium on a pre-constructed deck. I know a lot of uh, Magic, uh, Flesh and Blood, whose pre-constructions are either so incredibly stingy that they won't include anything that's... They won't include the namesake of Arclight Phoenix in the Phoenix Pioneer deck, or they'll just be like horrendously watered down and unplayable piles like the Flesh and Blood Blitz precons. So yeah, them putting that kind of value in their pre-constructed decks is really good. Oh yeah, Bushy Road. It used to be worse because I remember when I started playing Vanguard many many years ago when it came out, and you would get one of the face card, like one of like certain cards within the deck that were good, and you had to buy four of the deck to play that deck if you wanted to play that, and not like if you didn't want to get like booster packs and change it. But over time, they then changed it so you got two of the main cards. And then they eventually kind of just said, you know what? Screw it. We're going to be good at structured decks and we hate how everyone else is doing this. The four of everything, except from like one card which you don't need four of anyway. And it just, it was brilliant. And they do good premium decks in Vanguard where they like put special reprints or special brand new units into a £25 bundle deck, which is competitive. Because I remember the uh, the Ren uh, Mori uh, Legend deck they released for Shadow Paladin, and it just turned into the best deck in the format. Mm-hmm. <laughs> With like ten different card upgrades, I think it was at the time. But like you could go into a tournament with the deck and do well because of how powerful uh, Diablo Blaster Dark was at the time. So, I trust Bushiroad a lot when it comes to structure deck power. But yes, so 
I'm very excited for the Avatar Last Airbender. <laughs> Going back to that. Well, that's good. I think we can. I can certainly expect that to have a lot of popularity, just because it's an IP that a lot of people love, and something that's going to bring a lot of people, uh, a lot of people back to it out of familiarity. I'd say. Yes, especially considering that um, a thing that Watchwatch does in its first print runs is it will have hot stamped with signatured cards. Yeah, which I'm very excited about. And also, it's it's a good collector's card game. Like prices range quite a lot. But a lot of it, unless it's like really old stuff, like I'm trying to look into the Persona 3, 4, and 5 cards. Yeah, the cards premium zones must be all over the place. Yeah, luckily it's on card market. <laughs> Somewhat. First, there was the DC Comics News podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I Am The Night. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones. I Am The Night. Why, hello there. I'm Seth Singleton, and I'm here to tell you about Madbub, a Harley Quinn cast. Harley Quinn? Harley fucking Quinn? What have we learned from this crazy show? Making bat shark repellent relevant since 1966. Oh, look, Cougar. And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal. Shut up and bat them, nuts. I definitely do not fuck. Death. In need of an adult-sized nemesis. Humans make good fertilizer. You can't fuck with Lois Lane. For fuck's sake. I'm a damn good cop. A lot of lasers. Mmm. Educational and informative. The DC Comics News Podcast Network presents Mad Love. The Harley Quinn cast. <laughs> Back to you, Seth. So, tell us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from everyone out there. Or not. That's really up to all of you. Fuckers. Picture this. Someone who knows nothing about comics. Someone who knows comics from movies, TV, and video games. A complete ultra-comics nerd. You pick the character you want us to talk about. You send us the questions you want answered. You make the show. A podcast by fans. For fans. Making new fans. Superheroes or Dummies! Part of the Comics in Motion Podcast Network. In a world of stereotypes, being called a geek comes with a certain image. There is still that ingrained thing within me that is a little bit embarrassed about it. In reality, geek culture has never been more mainstream, and behind every geek is a real story. My dad was the one who got me into Star Wars and things. Join me, your super dummy Paul, as I continue my learning experience and talk to the real people. I'm a secondary school teacher, so I teach 11 to 16 year olds in English. Hear their stories exclusively on Fantastic Universes. He's one of them like, you've ever going to grow up? And I'm like, no, why should I? I, I like my life. I, I enjoy what I do. This is my hobby. Available on all your favourite podcast catchers.
Hi, my name's Steve, and I'm here to tell you all about the DC Comics News Podcast. Every week, my friends and I sit down and discuss everything DC. Movies, TV and streaming, comic books, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. <laughs> no, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Whatever the case, you can find the DC Comics News Podcast on every podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher. And everywhere else you find podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. <laughs> Hello, listeners. This is Tony Farina from DC Comics News and an occasional guest on Comics in Motion. I'm pleased to announce a new show called Indie Comics Spotlight. Each week, my guests and I will be taking a deep dive into a current title or a classic graphic novel from a publisher other than the big two. Consider this show the best of the rest. My hope is that we'll bring new readers to independent comics and give old readers a chance to share their thoughts. Join me each week in the Comics in Motion feed in your favorite podcast catcher. somewhat there'll always be a seller out there and uh yeah i can see it being a good collector's card game just because of the beloved ips and the unique characters and moments but definitely i'd say a card game that's very good for its collectors is our guilt as well it's my guilty pleasure pokemon which is not a card game we've actually talked about on this show yeah no it's a card game I have dabbled in, I've stepped my foot into it, I've even gotten people at my work more into it by giving them some of the cards that I've acquired over my time as they've decided to start learning how to play. But it's never been one that I've taken the plunge with. Yeah. Yeah, I can say that. Back when I was working in a place where I was handling a lot of cards, I my interest in it grew and I sort of played with and around some of the other people I used to work with so there was always some awareness of it but like I was one of the 12 people who who grew up with the Pokemon games but never actually played them myself I was much more interested in like early console stuff and like your uh your Mario's into um the, the Batman Arkham games into Assassin's Creed so I never actually got the chance to actually play any of the Pokemon games on the Game Boy or on the DS and that so I just completely missed it so my first exposure exposure of pokemon was through the card game now in my late 20s um i've got interest in it now i'll probably pick up scarlet or violet whenever i can but that's neither here nor there the pokemon card game like to again to quote our lord and savior the professor it's like diet magic no second main phase no instance but the whole resources in your deck and using them to fuel abilities is very much reminiscent of magic, which is how you can tell they were made by the same initial designers. But uh, yes, uh, that game has definitely held onto its premium as the collector's game, and it's got a very exciting new look coming into 2023. The the card based around uh, Scarlet and Violet will be coming out in March. There's one more expansion of Sword and Shield, Crown Zenith, coming out in a few weeks' time, as of the time of uh, recording and listening to this. 
But uh, this is unthinkable to me. Um, the new cards will no longer sport their iconic yellow border. Oh, really? Yeah, they've they're they're changing their look a bit. Pokemon has had some uh, like overall like card layout updates in the past, but uh, they haven't had one in a very long time. So they're actually like doing something fairly drastic, where like the formats are the same, but the dimensions are the same, but they're doing away with the yellow borders. Interesting. I believe they had only done that once before, and even then, not fully. Because they did a set many years ago with these cards that were like scannable, I guess is the word, where you would like swipe them and you would get stuff from it. Yeah, they did that because they needed it to be able to scan with whatever app they were using. But this time, they are pretty much changing the whole look, which is a very bold and ambitious thing to do. I will have to... uh invest into some scarlet and violet when it gets released and we should have to have some games i i'll, I'll weirdly look forward to that that's that could be uh be pretty good i dare say but uh as for right now there's another another few expected releases on the horizons that i think you're equally excited about right i i, I like japanese card games a lot and there's a card game coming to japan uh, later this year, I believe it's coming out in March, March 24th apparently, is being released into the Japanese market and it is known as Union Arena. Now I know nothing about this one, please do educate us. So, it's kind of taking, because there is another game similar to Weisschwartz in Japan called Chaos, which is it uses a variety of anime um, IPs to create its card base. Uh, so what Union Arena is doing is taking Shonen Jump IPs, such as... Oh, you did tell me about this one. Yes, My Hero Academia, Hunter x Hunter Bleach, um, Reincarnated as a Slime, Demon Slayer, Code Geass, as well as a bunch of others, and are putting them into a card game. Oh, this could be very ambitious. And I'm very intrigued to see, because I can't remember who the is but made by bandai so it's made by the same guys who made digimon as well as dragon ball and um uh, one piece at the moment they're two of those oh actually all three of them are doing pretty well dragon ball getting quite a resurgence recently yep uh digimon being perhaps one of the most fun games i've ever played and then one piece taking the world by storm at the moment yeah, the, like Bandai's, yeah, the collector premium on Dragon Ball by Bandai is insanely good. Uh, and yeah, like all of Bandai's games are unreasonably good, I would say. Yep, and also all of them are quite. Uh, One Piece has its high collector's cards at the moment because it's new and product is quite hard to come by because of how new it is. But like Digimon is perhaps one of the most affordable card games ever. In that even top tier meta decks are around a hundred pounds, unless you're talking looking at like Death X Mon. But in terms of like in general, if you're not playing that, even Examon, which is one of the more expensive decks at the moment, is only around a hundred, and most of that is in the Examons themselves, because they are around fifteen to twenty pounds each, I believe, because of their all secrets. 
And honestly, most decks that run Death Exmon don't really need Death Exmon. No, you only run, and even then, you only run a couple. And there's a bunch of stuff coming out soon to counter Death Exmon in BT12. Uh, so Bandai has, at the moment, my utmost respect as a TCG creator and that they're going to do a good job. My only concern, but also a kind of hope I have, is that it's involving the My Hero Academia IP. Now, as we alluded to earlier, My Hero Academia already have a card game in circulation at the moment. And it is proving to be quite popular. It's a really unique gameplay mechanics, unique game style. Uh, artwork we can forget about, but in terms of gameplay, it's great. Honestly, knocked out of the park for me when I played it for the first time. And I love how each of the heroes and villains within the game really emulate their characters. From what little I understand about my hero, when we played it, it's a very on-flavor card game. Yeah, very on flavor, which is where I'm worried that if this gets released, how the IP is going to be affected for that card game. My hope, I know it won't come true, but I wish it would, is that if you actually look at the back of uh, My Hero Academia cards, they don't have a My Hero Academia uh, symbol or like iconography. Instead, it's part of the versus systems. Yeah, it's a part of a card game called Universus. I keep mixing up with Multiversus, the Warner Brothers fighting game, but no, it's part of Universus. Because they, they say that they want to introduce other IPs into their game, which again, leaves me super confused because then what's going to happen with this game that you're talking about with uh, Union yeah. Arena? Is that game going to become part of Union Arena? Or is it something completely different? Because I don't believe the current one is... Uh, the current one, I believe, is made by Upper Deck, if I remember correctly. Um, Probably. Maybe? Publishers is something that I am very hit and miss on. But I'm excited because A, involves Bleach, which is something I have a love-hate relationship with because I grew up with it. I watched the entirety of the original series and I'm going to have to sit down and watch the thousand year blood arc blood war arc that has just been released onto disney over the last uh month or so and it's going to be beautiful and we're going to finally see kimpachi's bankai and it's going to be awesome i am incredibly hyper for it but also how it's coming in with ips that are popular but aren't as well known as they used to be like hunter x hunter for example uh an ip that's been around for a long time However, hasn't had anything done with it in five plus years. Yeah, because the uh, the manga capped out at thirty six volumes, and uh, it's a close story. It's done though, so I'm not sure how much they could possibly expand it. But getting a time in the sun's a very nice surprise here. Yes, and I feel like similar to my hero today because th what I notice. When you look through the choices they have made for the IPs they are using, so Hunt, My Hero Academia, every character is different, has unique powers, has unique abilities, and would translating into a card game, as we've seen in My Hero Academia, has, each would have a unique playstyle. Then look at Jujutsu Kaisen. Every character has their own unique version of Curse Energy. Each one of them fights in a different way. 
Then there's uh, reincarnated as a slime, where every character is different, uses different abilities, different fighting style. Demon Slayer, each one uses a different type of sword technique, technique such as uh, Tanjiro's water breathing into fire breathing, beast breathing, and uh, lightning breath. So, and Hunter x Hunter as well, each one has a different type of men. If it's done properly, there could be very flavorful, different sort of hero centric styles of decks yeah. to be built. Yeah. So I have a feeling it will actually be closer to, say, one, very similar to One Piece with the uh, leader cards, similar to what My Academia is doing with the hero and villain cards. And, like, make it super flavorful to their character who are running the deck. And that makes me even more concerned for the My Hero Academia card game as it stands. Mm -hmm. Bandai will has a lot more money and backing than they do, I'm afraid to say. Yeah, so we think this would just get the My Hero IP would be absorbed by this game and the My Hero card game as it is would just dissolve? Uh, I don't know yet, because we have seen in the past where card games have come out with IPs similar to others or using IPs, that's similar and just survived and not cared and thrived because people enjoy that specific game style over the others. Like we've had countless Star Wars TCGs at this point. But if you were to ask someone who have played, say, four or five of them, which one they would preferred, they would each probably pick a different one, even though there's others that might be objectively better. Because card games, which and this is something I love about card games, is that people play them for different reasons. People enjoy different factors of card games. I enjoy card game design. I enjoy interesting deck building and uh, card design, as well as skillful and intellectual plays. But I also enjoy just playing Vanguard and having a really interesting card management system to both pressure my opponent and defend myself while having a mitigating luck factor within triggers. So yeah, it's going to be interesting because we, we do not, as far as I'm aware, we do not know what his gameplay style is like yet, which I also feel is going to have a big impact. If to expect of when it's going to be released in the UK, Typically with these kinds of things, because it's Bandai, so I will expect it to come to the UK. It will probably be late this year, maybe in the fall or in winter, or early next year. That's a bit of a stretch, but that sounds like um, Bandai's release schedule. But I think we've got a lot of time before they have to uh, actually formally announce things and show off cards and like how the game works to say it, because it'll have its Japanese release way before uh, an English text yeah. release. It's in two months it comes out. Because the first uh, sets are Code Geass, Jujutsu Kaisen, and Hunter x Hunter. Right. What they are leading the charge with. Followed by in April, we're getting Demon Slayer and Idolmaster. And in May, because they are rapid-fire releasing about looks of things, is uh, Tales of Arise, the that time was really reincarnated as a slime, Bleach, and My Hero Academia. Well, they've just so, had so much stuff like designed in the back, in the wings, just ready to go for big releases, dang. Yeah, it's very 
interesting to see such a large set of releases in such a short period of time. Like we we all see magic and the release schedule that is uh loathed and how it feels like it's over daunting. However, what these kinds of games typically try and do is you're not supposed to buy everything. Very much it's not with these kinds of games. You're supposed to pick your IP that you like and you kind of stick with it. And then if there's another one you like, you get that as well. Stuff like that. Rather than it being like, oh, new cards. I need these new cards to add to my deck. Da 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 da. It's more because I can imagine it doing something similar to Y Schwartz, where it's a case of you play your IP rather than your color. So I can imagine there's going to be a Code Geass deck, and then a Jujutsu Kaisen deck, and then a Hunter x Hunter deck, and then five or so different archetypes within each IP. If they, they balance that properly, then they can make an interesting game of it. But then I think it's also like somewhat limiting because. How does it work in uh, Vice Shorts? Are you are you really locked into your anime based on the deck you build, or can you mix and match IPs? I believe technically you are allowed to mix. However, you are deterred from doing so because you will not like a card will say. Um, so, for example, in Ruby cards, they there's a characteristic called Remnant. Because characters are from Remnant. And it will say, give you if you have another Remnant character, do this. Or give your other Remnant character, do that. And it will specifically reference Remnant or Weapon or some kind of keyword. Which typically comes from your IP. They do balance it out by just sort of like saying it's you're not you're encouraged to play to buy IP. But typically what they'll do is they'll release multiple sets for that IP. There's enough of a card pool. Okay. Yeah. So like for example, Idol Master and Love Live have so many sets. Uh we've just got the second set of the Seven Deadly Sins. So we've got two sets of that now. Uh we've got I believe we're getting another set of Overlords at some point. Uh, we've got the two Persona sets because you can mix and match with those. Uh, Attack on Titan has like three sets, four sets. Sword Online had a few sets. Uh, it had Goblin Slayer. Yeah, it also had Batman. Oh yeah, because it had yeah, because it had rights to the to the Batman manga. Yes, you had access to the uh, Batman Ninja uh, license somehow. So there's a trial deck for that. So you can play Batman if you want in my shorts. Um, but yeah, but it's so you'd pick your IP, you build around that, and yes, there'll be some strategies from IPs that'll be stronger than others. Like I believe at the moment, quintessential quintuplets is really powerful because they just got a bunch of new support despite being one of the best decks already. But that's because they're about to get a new movie, so it kind of ties in with that. And uh, there's another one which is Tokyo Revengers is really strong at the moment. I can't remember if they've got the second set or not, but they've got like, a, a powerful strategy within their deck, uh, within their uh, their carpool, which they can use. Because it's a, a mixture of color as well as the characteristics that you build your deck. 
done properly, then it could be very interesting to have a big card game that has multiple different anime IPs into it. I just think they're missing an opportunity making it so narrow. I mean, sure, this makes it easy for balanced play and making it appeal to players who really, really love one anime and want to build all of the kinds of decks that are, like, Jujutsu Kaisen flavored or whatever, but wouldn't it be really interesting just to get, like, the mechanics flexible enough so that you could have, like, crossover, like, a superhero team of, like, All Might and Itadori just taking out your opponent? That would be incredibly cool. My concern from a card design perspective is how... So, if they flavor the cards towards their characters, they will have to put certain effects into the game. Like, Code Geass is actually the set I'm most scared of. Because, have you watched Code Geass? So, the whole thing of Code Geass is Lelouch has the ability um, from his... He gets his power, which he... If someone looks him in the eye and he uses it, he gets to order them to do something. Like a mind slaver effect, yeah. So he's mind slaver basically. Now, how do you implement that into a card game and make it balanced when you then also go his all might? All might's like green X unga bunga, whilst that first character is like mind slaver and control effects. You do that, but then you you just if you allow it for you can just do a generalized pick and mix. It's less the case of going, oh yeah, his entire strategy is this and his entire strategy is that. It goes, I'm going to take the best cards from that strategy and the best cards from that strategy and just put them together. It basically becomes a bit like a Simic good stuff, if you get what I mean. Yeah, but there will always be players that play that, but then compared to someone who's on like the very dedicated like uh, Itadori, like, and if you have a certain number of Sakuna's fingers, you can just like do this crazy cursed attack, linear, dedicated yeah. control deck, like aggro deck. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I can see merits and demerits to both. If based on the fact they're releasing so many at once, I'm leaning towards either or they do what My Hero Academia did, which is um, the symbol system. Yeah, that could be very balanced, very well handled. Yes, which is um for our listeners, uh, on My Hero Academia cards in the bottom left, there's three symbols. All cards in your deck must share one of the symbols. I think they did that and had it be hero centric, because like in My Hero, you choose this particular version of All Might or this particular version of uh, Bakugo, and then the symbols that are on the hero card have to be on the cards in deck as well. If they did that, then that could be very well balanced. That I f- I'm more enjoying than just here, play your best cards. Because the problem with here, play your best cards is if they accidentally power creep stuff, it leads to homogenization. As we've seen with stuff like modern in Magic recently and stuff like that. Where there's just certain cards that are so powerful, you will just see them in every deck. Um, unless there's some other reason to not play them, in which case, yeah. So yes, I'm very excited for this game. Uh, when it gets released in Japan, I'll probably write an article about it, looking through the sets and talking my and looking at how the game is played as well. I'll probably proxy some cards out to teach you how to play it, because uh, even just that opening three sets of Koki, Ash, Jujutsu Kaisen, and Hunter x Hunter. It's such a beautiful combination of new and old Shonen Jump. 
and that'll be a very exciting thing to get balanced out onto cards. We can hope once again that that has a very strong uh, anime style arc where friendship and good plays were inside us all along. But uh, as card games go, I think we're going to close our show at the opening where I began in card gaming at least as we march off towards to bow down to Mummy, Elish, Norn, and praise our Phyrexian creators. I mean, um, um, try and defeat the Phyrexians and hope for the best, because uh, Phyrexia All Will Be One is coming very, very soon. Yes, it is. The culmination of... Oh, what? So, original Mirrodin got released 2008? Or earlier, and then also all the Phyrexian stuff before that from the original, like Urza cycles and old, uh, like, uh, what else was there? Basically, every original Dominaria set from uh, Beyond Revised and such. The Phyrexians have been around a long time, they have, and now they're back. Um, it looks like. The granddads of card games, the the original, the OG, Magic is finally finalizing that story arc in ways that we weren't expecting. Yeah, it turns out many of our main characters have been tainted and corrupted and warped by Phyrexian influence. As I was, while we were talking, I've been sort of trawling through Twitter and I found uh, they've released the... Uh, uh, the ver the completed version of Luca, the ranger from Ikoria. Apparently, he was touched by the Phyrexians as well. He's like red green and makes um three three beast tokens with toxic because you know poison counters is back. Have you uh seen the spoiler or the leak for uh, Phyrexian Arena? Uh, it's back. It's back, and the artwork is massively important to the story. Well, that's definitely makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'm more interested in... No, no, go forth. I'll try and find it whilst we talk about it. Raptor is stabbing Jace through the chest and completing him. Oh, joy. True love. Hopefully that means yeah. that they'll uh, they'll try and, like, veer towards some of the storylines that are in the comics because Jace has been dead in the comics for ages. Yeah, so Jace uh, tries to save Raska and, uh, because he loves her. Yep. And Raska betrays him because she's an agent and completes Jace. Because uh, we know that, and by looks of things, Tybalt is also completed. Because uh, Tyvar decided to play the Doom soundtrack and say hello to Tybalt. Turns out many more Planeswalkers were completed than we ever thought. Turns out they're trying to show us in this story. I, I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about the... Because um, the, the complaint from War of the Spark was that it felt the stakes. It was supposed to be all the stakes, right? The culmination of Nicol Bolas's plan to basically become the god of everything, destroy all the other planeswalkers or make them bow to him. And two people died. So Dak Faden died because we saw him, his bark being taken within the trailer. Yeah. And then Gideon died after riding Rag into battle yeah. uh also uh domri raid died just to show the portrayal of bolas just being that for power but no one particularly cared um but yeah so three people died from an event that had basically every major planeswalker 
minus Garrick because they, he didn't want the Hulk to turn up. Um, yeah, so they, they, they kind of took that complaint and went, how do we rectify this? I know. Let's do a similar scale event and then make next to half the people die. I think that's what they're going for at least because I think in my head they're, the reason they're doing this is very comparable to um, the change between Generation 1 and Generation 2 Transformers. They need yeah. this event to feel big so that they can bring in a whole new slew of characters to sort of build the IP around so that this feels like an actual huge change in storylines, if anything. Yeah. Though it's quite funny because all the hatred Jace used to get has now been transferred over to Teferi. Purely for the fact that the difference between them is less that they're shoved in your face every set, but more because, yes, they, we, we had a Jace basically set every set or every other set, but half of them weren't playable. It's because the second Jace ever printed was a card that has defined formats before they even existed. Whereas then Teferi has had every single Planeswalker version of Teferi is good. Yes. Busted. So the most powerful being probably Time Raveler. Yes, because it's banned everywhere. Because it's banned in most places except for Modern and Legacy. Uh, or who cares about Legacy these days, I guess. Eh, Wizards certainly don't. So yeah, and then we've had Tier of Fairy Hero Dominaria, which made a massive resurgence into like Blue-White X Control for a while, in uh, both Standard and in Modern. Uh, unfortunately, kind of power crept out, but still kind of playable. He's a one of or two of. Yes. But it's still crazy powerful. There is no bad Teferi Planeswalkers. The worst one is Climebender, and he has a special place in my heart for being combotastic. And then there's the, the original Mono Blue one, which from the, uh, the Planeswalker Commander deck, which was absolutely obscene. So yeah, so unfortunately he's kind of taken over Jace, but also in the way of power creeped Jace. And with a bigger I win button than Jace has. Because Jace has his mind magic, whereas Teferi just goes, hmm, I didn't like that, let's go back in time. Which is way more powerful than like high scale telepathy. Oh yeah, it's kind of, because what makes this, what makes everything really frustrating for me personally about all this stuff happening with Phyrexia and all these high stakes things or the Planeswalkers coming completed is that in two, three, whatever like the next big story arc is that we get, Wizards of the Coast can literally turn around and say, you know what? Let's bring them back. Teferi uses his time magic to go back in time before they got completed and bring them to the present day. Yeah, probably. I, I would hope that they're not that lazy. Not expecting Jace to get completed, and the fact that they actually did, either to me, means that they A, have a way to fix it, or B, they are saying goodnight to Jace, and I want them to, if they're going to do that, stick to it. Yeah, I, I hope so too, because like, there's pretty much everyone that's like died a like, big scale in the past has stayed dead. There hasn't been any big cop-outs except for Elspeth because like the rules are different on Theros because there's a very clear afterlife. If I were writing it, I would say whatever means they use to defeat the Phyrexians, 
or whatever means Khan uses to properly seal Phyrexia so that no travel can come in and out. That also means that it's like time locked, like how Gallifrey was after the time war in Doctor Who. So Teferi can't pull any bullshit. So, so basically, uh, they just can't deal with any of the villains and magic because, like, yeah, Nicobars didn't get killed. Emrakul didn't. Yep. Emrakul didn't get killed. They did kill Ulamog and Kozilek. And now, by looks of things, they're either a they have to either a wipe them out, just straight up wipe them out, or b Gallifrey them. Yeah, which again would just be just them not dealing with the problem again. Yeah, which is okay. the best one I think of so far of the three is if they do go through that route is definitely Emrakul's. You know what? Yeah, the moon seems like a nice place to vacation. Yep, and that's sort of how they've handled it because Emrakul was had an intelligence and had a soul and knew that yeah. knew that their presence was inherently destructive and didn't want to do that. So they just wanted to sequester themselves in some way that could keep them quiet. But Lumog and Koslake were like forces of nature and just had to do what they did. And Bolas was a yeah, and Bolas was that neutral evil type that would want domination, so had to be sort of dealt with in a clean way that could have them come back in a nefarious way, so My one regret is that with Jace going, I wish we went to Vryn first Yeah, that would have been nice Because Vryn is a place we have had some little looks at through uh, core sets and it looks like such an interesting place, but unfortunately it seems like Kaladesh kind of took its place. No, it, like it took its place in like the sort of high tech sort of thing. But Kaladesh yeah. was fine and shiny. Kaladesh was land of inventors. It was hope, and then into political strife. Rin's grim. Rin's beaten down. Yeah. Kaladesh is Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek. Rin is yeah. Blade Runner. If they give us like a noir Blade Runner looking set, then I'd be up for it. They literally did make Chandra Jace's foil from start to finish, didn't they? In every possible aspect. Yeah. But yes, uh, I am very excited to see Phyrexial Ruby 1. The cards are very cool coming out of it, including my boy Slobad is back. He's looking spicy, card power-wise. What the hell is this little gobbo friend? He's a two-card combo with Spina Vishar to blow up every permanent on the battlefield. I can't wait. Yeah, exactly. It's gross. But uh, we will dissect these Phyrexian oddities perhaps a little bit sooner because we have touched on the many, many, many things we are excited about in the world of card gaming coming to us in 2023. And we're excited to share more of our takes with them and with you, dear listener, as we get through them as they come to us, as well as other things that have occupied our attentions. But until then, then Adam Ray, is a tinker, and Conor McIndoo are you talking to you about all things to be excited about in 2023. But until then, my good pal, where can our dear listeners find you? Well, as this is the year of uh, getting myself into gear with content creation, you can find me over at Twitch at Akariu. A-K-H-A-R-I-O-U. You can find me on the Fantastic Universe as a writer, um, the man named Connor. Um, I will be releasing an article later this week or next week based on the card game that's been taking up my attention lately, which is Eternals, made by the same creators of Munchkin. 
uh, a great game that I've been found online. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Karu, and I'm currently creating a Facebook page for Akari as well. Very nice. Do check out all things related to Akari. Doing very tasty and fun things in the world of card gaming goodness. As for little old me, you can find me right here on fantasticuniverses.com, writing many mixed things about various flavors of gaming. Uh, right here on the Fantastic Universes podcast, uh, twitch.tv forward slash isitinkerous, streaming card games. My writing can be found on Storytellers Forge about TTRPG goodness, Dark Knight News and DC Comics News reviewing DC's finest comic book releases, and The Dark of the Mirror. But thank you for listening. This has been Fantastic Plays, and until next time, live free and play well. Bye.